I want you to hit me as hard as you can. After the debut of X-Men in the year 2000, Marvel superhero movies really started coming into their own. In 2002, audiences finally got a big-budget live-action look at Stan Lee's biggest hero of all, Spider-Man. But years later, even as the comic book movie genre was skyrocketing, the popularity of Marvel's MVP seemed to be moving in the opposite direction. In 2014, The Amazing Spider-Man 2 hit theaters and was met with some pretty dismal reviews. It made a fair amount at the box office, and yet is still the lowest grossing film in the Spider-Man series. Now you might be saying, wait, this is Spider-Man. How could this possibly be considered a failure? Isn't that the question of the day? Let's examine the reasons why The Amazing Spider-Man 2 ended this incarnation of the web-slinger and unravel just what the f**k happened to this movie. In 2002, audiences cheered when director Sam Raimi brought Marvel's most popular character to life, setting box office records with his trilogy. A year after Spider-Man 3 left theaters, Marvel began building its own cinematic universe with their available comic book superheroes that hadn't been sold to other studios. But Sony held the rights to Marvel's biggest superhero and his related universe, and they refused to relinquish their grip on the property. In July 2012, a mere five years after Tobey Maguire put away his red and blues, Sony's first Amazing Spider-Man film debuted to pretty decent response. Even though it seemed like the quickest reboot ever, at the time anyway, it earned $758 million at the worldwide box office. And the critical consensus was, even if it did revisit themes from the original trilogy, the cast and direction made the film a satisfying reintroduction to the character. Sony officially had a hit on their hands. So a sequel was immediately fast-tracked, with stars Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone and director Mark Webb quickly signing on to return. In September of 2012, the villain of the sequel was rumored to be Electro, and two months later, Jamie Foxx was hired for the role. That same month, we learned that Dane DeHaan would play Peter's friend Harry Osborn, and then Paul Giamatti was confirmed for the role of villain Rhino. Also confirmed to be in the film were Felicity Jones and Shailene Woodley. More on those two later. The Amazing Spider-Man 2 filmed from February to June 2013, with a planned release date in May 2014. The plot would find Peter Parker splitting his time between saving the city and spending time with his true love, Gwen Stacy. He hasn't forgotten the promise that he made to Gwen's father, keeping her out of his life as Spider-Man. But things would change with the arrival of a supercharged nemesis called Electro, and the return of childhood friend Harry Osborn. In 2013, reports made the rounds about Sony's plans for a Spider franchise. And why not? The first Amazing Spider-Man had been a critical and financial success. And, just before its release, audiences were treated to something brand new, when Marvel's Avengers offered moviegoers a big-screen team-up of popular superheroes. The Avengers earned $1.5 billion at the box office, and promised a future where famous comic characters could interact in a shared universe. It was a comic fan's dream come true. What studio wouldn't want to replicate that kind of success? Especially Sony, who owned the rights to Spider-Man, along with every Spider-Man story and character that had ever been told in comics, cartoons, TV shows, you name it. Sony's intention of launching a Spider-Verse certainly appeared to be true when the trailer for The Amazing Spider-Man 2 was unveiled in December 2013. It was already known that Electro would serve as the primary villain, and the announcement of Harry Osborn naturally introduced the possibility of Green Goblin. But even with those formidable foes, the first look at the film blatantly teased a potential Sinister Six. It may seem odd to reveal a big secret in a trailer, but Sony clearly wanted the audience to know they were on their way to building their own universe. 
Showing the final shot of the film, where Spider-Man fights a fully armored rhino, did make the scene feel less special in the finished movie. But Spidey fans watching the trailers before the sequel's release were blown away by the amount of action and classic characters on display. Audiences may have been excited for the sequel, but after the film was released on May 2nd, 2014, the overall box office was perceived as both great and somehow not so great. The movie grossed $709 million worldwide, which is a decent haul by most standards. But most standards don't necessarily include superhero movies. The fact that it made over $700 million wasn't the talking point for the film. It was instead that The Amazing Spider-Man 2 was the lowest grossing Spider-Man film ever. The most recognizable superhero in the world, with the possible exceptions of Superman and Batman, was somehow a box office disappointment. The reviews for the film weren't particularly kind either. The sequel currently holds a 51% critical average on Rotten Tomatoes, and a slightly better 64% from audiences. The Washington Post said the film was an unforgivably long assemblage that never coalesces into a compelling story. The Atlantic said the film was overstuffed with plot and consequently struggles to invest the audience in any of it, since there's so much to get through and so many future films and spin-offs to set up. Yeah, that sounds about right. In September of 2014, just months after the sequel's release, Andrew Garfield blamed Sony for removing deep scenes exploring his character. He also lamented in a Daily Beast interview that the initial script actually worked very well as a whole and he insinuated that over the entire production, the studio removed various elements. Garfield makes an important point because it addresses the chief complaint that The Amazing Spider-Man 2 has just too many different stories circulating. The secret of Peter's parents, a plutonium theft, relationship issues, the guilt of Gwen's father, the emergence of a new main villain, the history between Peter and Harry, potential future villain Alistair Smythe, the death of Gwen Stacy, the Sinister Six, Felicia Hardy. This is getting kinda sticky. But rather than eliminate some of these subplots, especially the ones that ultimately went nowhere, instead they removed portions of each. This allowed them to bring down the runtime of the film and set up the spider universe they had wanted. But instead, audiences were left having seen partially completed subplots, which made a mess in its final product. Obviously, that wasn't the goal. After the success of Marvel's Avengers, The Amazing Spider-Man 2 was intended to begin something unique, Sony's own fictional Spider-Verse that would have continued with two more direct Amazing Spider-Man sequels and a series of spin-offs that would have included Venom and a Sinister Six movie. How did a film with so much promise become such a colossal misstep? Let's try to unspin that web. On the positive side, the action is mostly well done, especially scenes involving Spider-Man and Electro. Complaints have been made about Garfield's portrayal of the character, and while some choices for Peter Parker seem odd, playing him more rebellious than bookish, his Spider-Man brought a distinct physicality, and the web-slinger seems to genuinely value everyone he encounters. His chemistry with Emma Stone feels authentic, probably because the two were actually dating at the time, but still. In Sam Raimi's original Spider-Man trilogy, Uncle Ben was the anchor to Peter's conscience, uttering those words that humanity is all too familiar with at this point. With great power comes Don't great- Don't you dare finish that sentence! Don't do it! I'm sick of it! <laughs> but this time it's actually Gwen's father, George Stacy, played by Dennis Leary, who was introduced, then offed, in Mark Webb's first film. And instead of words that motivate Peter, he's burdened with a warning. Leave Gwen out of it. Sure, it's not as poetic as Uncle Ben's mantra, but this statement sits with Peter Parker in a very unsettling way. George Stacy's persona haunts Peter throughout The Amazing Spider-Man 2, popping up whenever Gwen seems to be getting too close. But Peter and Gwen are together at the climax of the film, which also proves to be the end of Gwen. Knowing her fate and the guilt Peter carries as a result of it could have been fascinating ground to cover in a third film. But unfortunately, the sequel had more negatives than positives. 
a huge opening chunk of the movie is spent on Peter's fugitive parents who leave him behind. Neither seems overly broken up about it. Later in the film, Peter sees a recorded message from his father, Richard, who reveals that the human DNA used for the radioactive spider was his own, meaning no one but Peter could have been bitten by the spider and survived, which destroys that whole regular kid from Queens aspect of his origin story. It's no longer that he was in the right place at the right time, or that it could have happened to anyone, but it happened to a guy with a good heart. It's now, Peter Parker is the only person that could have ever been Spider-Man. So much for the relatability that made the character so popular. Now, it's destiny. And then there's the villains. Harry Osborn just materializes in the film, with no introduction at all. If the audience was supposed to see these as separate from the original Spider-Man trilogy, then they probably shouldn't have to rely on those films to have a decent understanding of who Harry Osborn is. We're told that he's Peter's best friend, even though he was never seen or mentioned in the previous film. We get caught up on their apparently long-lasting friendship and history in a one-minute conversation. Hey, Harry. Random. Like ten years. It's eight. Close. It takes about an hour for the movie to get to its main villain, Electro. Jamie Foxx's performance is adequate, but there's also plenty wrong with Electro that was likely out of his control. The CGI that was used to give him that raspberry blue Electro glow was hard to take seriously, and it drew comparisons to Zordon from Power Rangers. His burpy, altered voice was an unintentional source of comedy. The soundtrack whenever he chased Peter in the film was some weird electronic version of Itsy Bitsy Spider. I hate this song! Similarities were quickly drawn between Electro and some combination of Jim Carrey's Riddler and Batman Forever. Was that over the top? I can never tell. <laughs> and Arnold Schwarzenegger's Mr. Freeze in Batman and Robin. You are not sending me to the corner. Not exactly the best references for comic movies. All the movie's missing plot threads are frustrating. Fox's character, Max Dillon, has almost no character development, reduced to a few random occurrences that just force Electro into existence. There's no real reason he goes from Spider-Man fanatic to Spider-Man enemy. Ultimately, we have no idea what Electro's objective is, or what drives him to cause such terror. Sure, he explains it in one scene. What? He describes how awful his world is, but the worst thing we see happen to him before becoming Electro was that the guy from the office made him work on his birthday. Smythe. I mean, Mr. Smythe. Happy birthday. When he first appears as Electro in Times Square, he seems infatuated with being seen by people. They finally see him. But Max's desire to be seen is barely mentioned before this moment. Yeah, well, most people don't notice other people. Before this, he just seems annoyed with people. Oh, and by the way, those important blueprints? Never seen again. Speaking of never being seen again, what happened to that treasure trove of plutonium that Paul Giamatti tried to steal at the beginning? Why was he stealing it from Oscorp? If he was caught so easily by Spider-Man, and he was stealing from his company, why would Harry Osborn choose him for the Rhino suit and the Sinister Six? Who knows? And Harry Osborn, obsessed with putting spider venom in his bloodstream, ends up near death and crawls to a suit that he's never seen before, which miraculously ends up keeping him alive. This suit just happens to be in the same room as outfits for five other major villains, Convenient. And a Sinister Six film was meant to be the launching pad for future installments in Sony's Spider-Verse. It even had a release date slotted in November 2016. But all Sony had to offer on that actual date was Billy Lynn's long halftime walk. Not quite the same. Then there's the cameos. We mentioned earlier the casting of Felicity Jones and Shailene Woodley, who were hired to play Felicia Hardy and Mary Jane Watson, respectively. Now you might be thinking, MJ, she was never in this movie. Right you are, but she was planned to be, and her scenes were even shot. 
Shailene Woodley had finished filming her part within the first month of production. But Mary Jane was removed from the film entirely. Despite speculation that some thought these future love interests could actually pass for brother and sister, ugh, the truth is that director Mark Webb made the tough decision to snip the character in the editing room because there were so many plot threads consuming the story and taking up screen time. Producer Matt Tolmach was quoted saying, You can't have Peter thinking about Gwen every moment, and then there's this girl next door who's suddenly there. Sure, makes sense. Between Harry Osborn's introduction and Electro loving Spider-Man, then minutes later hating Spider-Man, this movie was already packed with plot points being suddenly there. And of course, there's Felicia Hardy. Even though she's only in three scenes and barely speaks, at least she made the cut. And let's be honest, as messy as every other subplot was, she could have become the Black Cat, who would have noticed in a movie filled with holes that the audience had to fill in on their own. In the end, it doesn't seem fair. Mark Webb already had the unenviable task of telling a compelling story about Peter Parker that felt separated from Sam Raimi's trilogy. Then, he was given the task of introducing and explaining backstories for three new villains, and setting up antagonists for future films, and expanding the Amazing Spider-Man films into Sony's own shared universe. In two movies, Webb unfortunately reached the same critical mass that it took Sam Raimi three films to hit. And we all know what happened next. In February 2015, it was announced that Spider-Man would be swinging into the MCU in a partnership between Marvel Studios and Sony, with actor Tom Holland suiting up as the wall crawler, squashing Mark Webb's hopes for his own Spider-Man trilogy. The announcement was made less than a year after The Amazing Spider-Man 2 was released, so that takes the award for quickest reboot in film. But audiences didn't seem to mind. Integrating the character into the proper Marvel Cinematic Universe has resulted in two blockbuster Spider-Man solo movies, with a third on the way. And yet Sony keeps trying with their very own Spider-Verse. Detached from his Spider-Man origins, the alien symbiote still found major success in a standalone Venom movie that has a sequel coming, along with a movie about Spidey villain Morbius, the living vampire. At one point or another, there were plans for movies featuring Spider-related characters Black Cat and Silver Sable, Madam Web, Silk, Craven the Hunter, and even a C-lister like Nightwatch. Who knows how many of their Spider-related characters will actually come to life, but the studio has already started demonstrating the limitless possibilities of the Spider-Man universe. Ultimately, we don't really know how much of The Amazing Spider-Man 2 we're missing. There was a petition at one point to release a director's cut of the film, but for now, audiences are still left disappointed with what ended up being and the promise of what could have been. But with rumors that Jamie Foxx and Andrew Garfield will appear in the next MCU Spider-Man movie, maybe Marvel will actually give us a somewhat satisfying end to their characters. Thank you for watching. If you like what you see, please subscribe to our Joe Blow Videos channel, tell your friends who like this sort of content, and turn on the bell to receive notifications for all our latest videos. We are an independent company, and we appreciate your support.